0: Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for being with us on this next half hour. Get ready for some science, right, Chris?
1: I'm buckling in right now. I am putting on the safety gear. I am turning all the switches to on. (laughs) To max power? Max power, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All the ones that go to on. Some of them are dials that have multiple settings.
0: (laughs) Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are sliders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And well this week on the show. I have Australia's premier bird nerd, Sean Dooley, who's from BirdLife Australia, who's going to tell us all about the Aussie Backyard Bird Count. I hope you've all downloaded the Aussie Bird Count app on your phone oh, is and this... gone out and taken some readings of birds in your backyard.
2: Is this citizen science? You can all participate. This
0: is citizen science. Yes, absolutely. For the next week, you can go out and count birds, and it will contribute to... BirdLife Australia's understanding of what birds are doing at the moment. No
1: sleep for you for the next week.
0: I know, right? I'm pretty pumped about this. And Sean is even more pumped. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about that. How about you, Chris? Well, I am
1: pumped about – thanks for asking, Claire. I am pumped about <laughs> mathematics.
0: Sorry, I'll insert a cricket sound in here.
1: Well, crickets is appropriate because this is this is a Australian mathematician – Um,
0: nice segue Professor
1: Cheryl Frager Who won the Prime Minister's Prize for Science
0: Oh, congratulations Professor Cheryl
1: Yes, she um, has done some very complicated mathematics And so we're going to talk a bit about What kind of maths she did Not specifically the exact things that she did Because it gets very complicated Very, very quickly
0: But tell me Is there going to be audience participation? There
1: is indeed going to be audience participation, Claire That's
0: all I want to know
1: Phone's at the ready Yeah, have your phone ready
0: Phones at the ready. What to to yeah. use? Or
1: well, you or can use it before. in the audience participation. You also obviously need to have your phone out to download the bird count app. I That's mean, true. you've got a phone out That's anyway true. at this point.
0: That's right. Phones yeah. at the ready. Yeah. Well, better get to it. On with the show. Get your binoculars out and your ears at the ready because the Aussie backyard bird count is on again. And we're lucky enough to have Australia's chief bird nerd and editor of the BirdLife magazine, Sean Dooley, here to tell us all about uh, how everyone can get involved finding, listening and counting our Australian bird life this October. Sean Dooley, welcome to Lost in Science.
2: Oh, uh, Thanks very much, Claire.
0: What is the Aussie bird count?
2: Yeah, it's a thing that we started at BirdLife Australia in 2014 as a way of getting people that we knew out there were maybe not full-on bird nerds like uh, bird experts like myself, but yep. uh, more bird curious, and uh, but didn't really want to admit it. And so it was a way of us um, engaging with them and showing them that, you know, you don't need to know every bird in Australia. You can just start with the birds in your backyard and put a name to them and and just, you know, enjoy the wonder of birds. Uh, but also there was a more serious scientific purpose in that we're trying to train the next batch of uh, citizen scientists to help us with collecting data on our bird population. An essential part of the work that BirdLife Australia does is through our monitoring programs, particularly our bird data program, which has been going in various forms for almost 30 years now. And that's gathered crucial information that there's no way the scientists or the government would be able to fund themselves. Crucial information on Australian bird population. But one of the big gaps we noticed was most researchers are researching threatened species or researching birds out in you know what we might call more pristine environments. There's very little research done or very little funding available on common species unless mm. they are pest species and so, and particularly in the areas where we live, and there was a, a big gap in our data, even from bird life, in that the even the, the, the mad bird watchers would go out and they wouldn't necessarily do bird counts in their own backyards or local parks. They'd go to the best spots. So we wanted to find out what was going on with our most common birds, because birds are such crucial indicators of the health of the natural environment. And, you know, we kind of forget that, you know, people say to me, Oh, you know, where do you go bird watching like kakadoo and stuff? And you go, Well, yeah, but I'm bird watching every day because birds are the the most obvious manifestation of nature in our lives. We but they occupy every habitat on the planet, including the habitats we've trashed and there's no more yeah. trashed habitats in the middle of our cities. Yeah. Yet there is still bird life.
0: So how do how do people actually get involved? Apart from having a backyard or a um or, you know, access to a habitat the birds might be?
2: Mm, well it's... It, the, the great thing about this is we're actually after all sorts of information or information on all sorts of habitats. So we've had people do their backyard bird counts from the balcony of their apartment. And even if you only get two birds, like a silver gull flying past and a, and a common miner landing on the on the balcony, we want to know that. We want to see where the birds are distributed and what, in what numbers and in, in what mix of species. And it's, it's actually pretty simple. We've made it as simple as possible for people to get involved the easiest way is to download the Aussie bird count app on your smartphone and you get that wherever you get your apps from and um you just register for that with details um so that we can contact you and so that we know where you are and where you're doing your counts from and you can pretty much start straight away and it just you have to put your location in and then just start counting the birds and one of the features of the app we've put in to try and make it easier if you don't know your birds. And that's one of the, the barriers to people participating in citizen science is they feel like they're not experts. Mm. They open a, you know, you open an Australian bird field guide and you can be confronted with pictures of 940 different species yeah. different plumages and male and female plumage yeah. and breeding and non-breeding and juvenile. And it's like, oh man, I'm never going to learn this. <laughs> but the fact is you're not going to be seeing 940 species outside your window or down at your local park so what we do with the app is we try and allow you to tell us what you're seeing and we work it out for you so there's a field guide component to the app if you don't know the name of the bird you're looking at and you can use just some simple features the size the shape and the colors that you can enter into that app and it will throw up a series of birds that are most likely to to be the bird you're looking at based on your area and what you've Input it in the information
0: that um, is so handy i mean how many times i've been outside and i've seen a bird and i'm like okay i've got to remember it's gray on top and i think yeah. it might be about 15 centimeters oh and then you forget as soon as you go
2: home yeah yeah it's good and because you've got it in your hand while you're out doing your count you can enter it and if you haven't got the inputs quite right you think no that's not it you can enter it again and see and you know hopefully it, it it's not foolproof, but hopefully it, it really helps as a guide to what you might be seeing. If you if you don't know the name of that bird and, and you don't need too much detailed knowledge, as long as you can tell a parrot from a pelican, you're probably going to get close <laughs> to what the bird is on the app.
0: And what are some of the most common birds that people um, will see or hear?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Every year that we've run this, for the first five years, the top ten most commonly seen birds most commonly counted birds have been the same every year so right. it's fairly consistent in our urban areas and we, we get a wide range of, of birds being recorded people you know people live right across australia so we get people on uh, i just noticed today uh, on the first day of the count we had someone from christmas island send in their count. In their backyard had tropical wow. birds but the majority of people live in the cities so we're seeing the majority of the highest numbers of birds are those that are in the cities and interestingly they're all pretty much either aggressive or bold birds or they're general feeders they're not specialist feeders or they're very adaptable um and and it's either one or two or three of those characteristics but particularly to survive in the mean streets um the birds kind of, always say birds kind of express the landscape that they give voice to the landscape not just providing a soundtrack to our lives, but they sort of almost record that the songs of the birds are the, sort of the, the, the sound etchings of what that landscape is like. And so, interestingly, the, the birds that survive in the cities are the are the brash, aggressive, highly intelligent ones. Uh, things like rainbow lorikeets, which are a native parrot. They're a nectar-feeding parrot, and you'd, people would probably know them. They're so colourful and, and bold and screechy, but they actually pretty gregarious and pretty good at, at holding their own against all the other species, including the notorious common miner or Indian miner, as people know it. <laughs> oh fact,
0: yes, it? the much yeah. maligned miner.
2: Yeah, and, and, and we're starting to see evidence from these sorts of surveys that um, in certain parts of Melbourne, rainbow lorikeets are actually out-muscling the Indian miners. So they're by far the most commonly seen bird, but they're often in big flocks. So. It makes sense. They're common and in big flocks and easy to identify. Our number two bird has been, uh, for these five years, has been the noisy miner, which is not related to the Indian miner. It's a native honey eater, but it actually looks quite similar to the common miner. It's just
0: a coincidence that they have yeah. a similar sounding name, but it's spelt differently.
2: It is, yeah, the... Um there's some argument whether the name reflects each other, but it's pretty much the, the minor is a, is a, I think, a Malaysian name for, for those birds because these birds come from India and, and Malaysia, uh, the minor birds uh, of various species. But the Australian bird is felt like the the gold miner. They were because they were seen as noisy and rambunctious and very sociable, and so they got that name uh, probably through through that historic connection, not not anything to do with the Asian species that were mm. later introduced.
0: And for you, as a more advanced bird watcher, I imagine, what species are you most looking forward to counting?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I've found, you know, I haven't been necessarily going to a very exotic locations looking for rare birds. I'm, when I've been doing it, I've been doing it literally in my own backyard and sort of local parks and things. and. I found that, like, for someone who goes bird watching a lot, to actually sit for 20 minutes and not go chasing the birds and just sit there and the first time I did this, sitting there in my backyard, I suddenly realised that even though I was interested in birds I wasn't really attuned to their world their rhythms, and so for that 20 minutes you get this rhythm of, of bird movement coming through your yard, like uh, at my place I have rainbow lorikeets, magpies noisy miners, the three most commonly seen birds, but it's sort of in that 20-minute window, you had the noisy miners come in and everything else scatter. <laughs> and when they moved on, suddenly the doves came back on the grass and the little brown thornbill popped up from the corner bush that I didn't even know was there because they kind of get harassed by the miners and it had just scarpered when they arrived. And, and I found it really kind of um, almost meditative uh, to, to see it. So it was just enjoyable from that aspect. But the really interesting thing is that I went down to a local remnant bush patch near me in in Bayside, Melbourne, and I found a bird doing a 20-minute count that I'd never seen there, Uh, a woodland bird called a leaden flycatcher, which is a bit of a migrant, so it must have just been moving around looking for territory. And so I wouldn't have actually gone out that day and looked for that bird. I wouldn't have expected it, but doing the count, you just never know what's going to show up.
0: And, Sean, once the bird count is over, so it's um, it's one week of counting and um, and yeah. people can count for, is it 20 minutes a day?
2: Uh, 20 minutes per count. Per count, we, right. We don't mind if you go off and do as many counts as you like. We want as much coverage as we can get. So you can do your backyard, your front yard, your, your local park or school or down the beach anywhere. We want to get as, as finely detailed a snapshot of, of birds every year as we can possibly get.
0: And how can people care for birds once the bird count is all finished
2: yeah it's, it's a good question the interestingly we we know from a lot of the research we've done that a lot a lot of people maybe third the studies say 30 to 50% of Australians actually feed wild birds usually in their backyard now people that people do that thinking they're helping the birds but to be honest Australian birds don't really need us to feed them um it, it's more the benefit is more for the people uh, than it is for the birds but so the best so that's um you know as long as you feed them you know healthy food and not junk food and not and and, and as long as you clean where you feed them so that birds that don't normally mingle um get together and can spread disease that that's fine keep doing that but but the, if you really want to help the birds the two most important things you can do in your local area is One, particularly in summer, put water out for the birds. Um, Especially in heat waves, birds Mm. really appreciate that because once it gets above about 41 degrees, birds really can't handle it. And uh, they can't sweat the same way. They don't sweat like mammals, so they have to lose heat in different ways. And wetting their feathers and using that evaporation is an incredibly useful um, survival tool for them. The other thing, it's a longer-term goal, is people start planting bird-friendly gardens. And by that, it's not just planting big native trees with massive flowers, because that sort of attracts the big, bold birds, like the red wattlebirds and the the noisy miners and the rainbow lorikeets, that then drive out your smaller birds. It's trying to create, replicate a bit of bush in your garden, which is like uh, planting shrubbery and and a bit of dense planting so that those smaller insect-feeding birds have, A, got habitat to feed in, but also have a refuge from when the bully birds, the the noisy miners and wattle birds appear. And then also the predators like the magpies and currawongs and and butcher birds, and it gives them a bit of respite. And so if you try and replicate the structure of the bush, even if it's not with indigenous plants, they're probably the best. But even if it's not, just having a bit of dense foliage, uh, some shrubs, different levels of um, different layers uh, of plants, uh, it's a really, really useful thing. And if you know, as as we build our McMansions and we have these tiny, you know, stamp postage stamp lawns with maybe a kind of you know succulent or two, and that's about it. That's not bird friendly garden habitat. So you know, even traditional gardens are much better, like the old English rose garden with hedges. And mm. things, at least that gave some birds a bit of a chance, but. Our modern gardens with you know artificial lawns and things like that—it's just a disaster for birds.
0: Well, Sean Julie, thank you so much for joining us on Lost in Science today. It's been a chirping good time, <laughs> um, and for all the burgeoning birdos out there, they can download the Aussie Backyard Bird Count app from any of the the app stores places you get your your smartphone apps. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, all all, all the all the platforms have it. It's the Aussie Bird Count app, or you can go to aussiebirdcount.org.au and enter the enter your counts on, online if you like, but the app makes it easier because you can take it with you and enter in real time.
0: Oh, Get out there, get into nature, go to your backyard, go down to the local creek and start counting birds. Sean Dooley, thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Claire.
1: Now, you remember recently on the show, we were talking about the Nobel Prizes for science and the lack of women who were represented yes. in those prizes. Yeah, we were. Yes. Yeah, we, um,
0: we were and there is. We were. and But then,
1: <laughs> then we had Australia's Prime Minister's Prizes, which are the most prestigious science awards in Australia. They're, Apart
0: from the... The Archies. Archies.
1: Archies, which are... well, We decided prizes. they're the Logies of Science. <laughs> I don't know the Prime Minister's Prize would be the... The AFI Awards of Science. I don't know. The Does Emmys, anyone care about the AFI the Awards? The of Science? Yeah, maybe. Or, the Arias of Science.
0: The no? Arias of Science. I don't
2: know.
1: <laughs> There's something anyway. They're the Australian of the Year of Science. Anyway, and in these, in these awards, five of the seven categories went to women. So Wonderful. Well, much Wonderful. improved on the Nobel Prizes. It is much improved on yeah. the Nobel Prizes, yes. Now, the biggest prize there is obviously the main Prime Minister's Prize for Science, which is worth $250,000. That
0: is not a small amount.
1: No, it's not, it's not a small amount. It's not as, not as big as some of your other worldwide prizes, but Not, pretty not pretty as good big for as Australia. a Nobel
0: Prize. No. But pretty
1: good for Australia. Pretty good for Australia. Uh, it went to Emeritus Professor Cheryl Prager from the University of Western Australia and she won it for her fundamental work in group theory and combinatorics which led me to wonder
0: hang on there's a there's a better more easy way to explain that isn't there
1: uh, <laughs> are you going to get to that
0: are you going to get to that
1: well i don't know what you've got in mind oh Claire. i
0: i just thought there was something specifically around geometry or something that she studies no
1: oh, she studies all kinds of things all right, okay. so i thought we'd have a bit of a talk about what what, what this is. Okay. Great. Well, I don't know. Is it great? I mean, is this a good idea or not? I mean, the short answer is, the short answer is yes. I've done it before. I'll the short answer is yes. And, and yeah. The long answer is no. This is not a good idea. So that's not, that's not much longer of an answer though. No. Um, what, well, what is group theory for a start though? Well, okay. So group theory is, it's about groups. Could have guessed that. Bit. Yes, yes. Groups now, of what numbers? Well, anything really. So you know okay. what? Okay, you guys know what a set is. Have you heard of the concept of a set in mathematics?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: A set is just like a bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, group is a type of set, but it has some what they call an operation, which allows you to combine two members of the group to get a third member. So, like adding two numbers together to get a third number. Okay. That kind of thing. Um, so I actually studied some of this stuff at university, partly because I'm a huge nerd and I took a few pure maths classes. Um, also because uh, groups are very useful in particle physics. Um, there are a lot of symmetries between the various subatomic particles, which can be described by the mathematics of groups. And also, you know, I mean, particle physics is a lot of maths, right? Because it's a lot can- of maths. but you can't saying see is- things and... and- Put them in bottles and stuff, like you can in biology, for example. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, it's it's all about. There's a lot to do with symmetries, and these things are explained by by groups. And I'm going to give you okay. an example of one now. So, what I want you to do is, uh, this is the group that describes rotations in three dimensions. Uh, so, a rotation is an element of this group, and you I haven't course, seen
0: that on the periodic table. Sorry,
1: it's it's a member of this group. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's you a can, and you can combine two rotations to get something else. So one, I want you to try this. I want you to get out your phones. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Hold out your phone flat on your hand in front of you, pointing away from you. Yep. yep. So the top of your phone is pointing away from you. Now, okay, we're going to do two rotations around different axes, right? So first of all, we're going to rotate 90-degree turn to the left.
0: Okay, so you just turn oh, flat. your phone okay. yep. flat in your hand... 90 degrees, so okay. right angle to where it was before.
1: Yeah, so still facing up, but the um, the top of the phone is now putting to your left. Yeah. Now what we're going to do is we're going to turn around a different axis. So imagine that you are facing a clock, Yeah. right, with its hands yeah. that go around it. Now I want you to rotate your phone 90 degrees clockwise in the way the hands turn. Right. So if you've done this the same way I've done it, the way we've all done it, your phone will now be... Facing to your right, <laughs> Claire's isn't, <laughs> and,
2: and, and side the top on. is pointing up. Yeah, yeah, the side edge on. Yep, yep.
1: Yeah, you got that? Got it. All right. Now we're going to start again. we well, okay, what we've done though, we've, there we combined two elements of our rotation grip. We're going to start again. We're going to try something different. We're going to do those same two rotations, but we're going to do them in a different order. Right. right. So start off with your phone, out flat in front of you again. Now we're going to turn it first that ninety degrees clockwise in the direction of the hands. Okay. So we're going to rotate it around 90 degrees so now it is the face of it is pointing to your right but the yep. the top of the phone is still pointing out away from you okay yep and now we're going to do that rotate turn it left 90 degrees again yep and so now the face of the phone is pointing away from you it's yep. ended up very different to what it was the first time we did those two rotations quite yep. different yeah so the audio do rotations matters
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: and this is one of the interesting things about this particular group. And this shows how group theory can get really, really complicated. You know, you get sort of simple sort of these simple principles that describe things in the real world and you get these complicated results that you need a lot of mathematics to explain what's going on there. Now there are all sorts of different kinds of groups there, and this isn't this one is a symmetry group. Um there are
0: Symmetry, per- that's right. Symmetry. symmetry. I knew symmetry. I Yeah, yeah, I yeah. knew I'd heard. A simpler way of describing what she does.
1: Yes, so it's that symmetry of rotating things in in, in, in three dimensions. There, um, there are permutation groups. So imagine if instead of using a phone, we're using a Rubik's cube, and you can mix up the colours. Um, and there are there are things called simple groups, and these are they're like prime numbers in that they can't be broken down into smaller groups, basically, right. So Cheryl Prager, she's done a lot of work on different kinds of groups, but she's also done a lot, specifically done a lot of work on classifying these simple groups. And yes, and, and on symmetries as well, done a lot of work on the symmetries found in designs of various things. Um, and she's also worked on combinatorics. I did mention that as well. Combinatorics is, at its simplest, it's about counting things, which again, sounds really easy until you think about sometimes there are complicated things to count. Like if you ask how many kinds of rotations are there or how many permutations are there of a Rubik's Cube or how many sort of designs satisfy a certain symmetry that you want to put on there so the combinatorics gets quite complicated when you try to work out how many of these things there are so as with a lot of mathematical stuff these kind of things are used in computer science um computer technology the internet which i believe is a thing now um (laughs) it's
2: probably applicable to even two two things like biology especially if you look at things like DNA and RNA, which we've talked about before, is that there's only four yeah. bases in RNA and there's only four bases in DNA, mm. but the combination of the different ways of putting them together means you get all these different things. So yeah, or
0: even protein structures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is all about Usually, physical symmetries, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, And of course, like I said, you know... Um, fundamental particles of the universe are uh, mm. described by these symmetries so this stuff is everywhere it's very um it's very powerful stuff so yeah this um this kind of math is very important cheryl prager's contribution to it has been quite substantial so yeah definitely well worth honoring by australia
0: And that brings us to the end of another episode of Lost in Science. A big thank you to Australia's biggest bird nerd, Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia, for chatting to us this week. And remember to download the Aussie Bird Count app and get out and start hanging out with the birds. They're a great company, why wouldn't you? Lost in Science is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can find us, we are LostInsci at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, we are Lost in Science One. Uh, On Facebook, we are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, if you never want to miss an episode, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts from. Failing that, you can tune in wherever you are at the same time next week when Stu, Chris and Claire get Lost in Science.